0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Run Happy Podcast. I'm Baxter Friedman.
1: And I'm Charlie Rook. And this is a podcast for people that want to improve themselves as runners as well as people and always run happy.
0: Let's get into it. Um, so this is the fifth episode. Wait, is it? yeah, this is the fifth episode of the podcast. And uh, we are here with another former, t- former teammate, the one and only Brock Kelly. Hello, guys. Yeah, and uh, yeah, man, how are you doing today?
2: Doing pretty good. A uh, little bit tired, but probably probably need a long nap at some point this week. Haven't quite gotten there yet, but soon.
0: Nice. nice. Well, uh, for anyone that doesn't know who you are, you know, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself?
2: Ah, uh, well, uh, I'm a runner here at Mississippi College. This is my senior year, and I, um, I guess junior year of eligibility wise. So I have another year after this, if I want to take it. And I also have a YouTube channel that I, uh, that I've been running for a while. So if you check that out, you can track my entire progress as a runner, as a creator, as all sorts of things. And then, uh, that's kind of the main things that I do. I also have a, uh, athletic clothing brand that I operate off of the YouTube channel, as well as a, it's more of a casual brand that operate as well as like a, uh, I don't know what else I do. I was, I do a lot of photography, videography, media stuff, (laughs) That's that's kind of what I did this last summer, yeah. this past summer with Ten man Elite out in Boulder, Colorado. So it's kind of a little about a little bit about me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So running is uh, you know, most of most of your life right now. And I mean, heck yeah. I mean, why shouldn't it be? Like you've yeah. <laughs> yeah. obviously done pretty well with all of it. But so how did it start? When when did you get into running? You know, why did you get into running?
2: So I would say I got into running probably whenever I was fifth grade. Is whenever I started running and my mom used to work for the American Cancer Society and they would have community 5Ks. So I would go out and she said, Hey, you want to go run this? And I said, yeah, sure. Whatever. I'll run it. <laughs> and like, I'd been running, like we would always have like in PE, you know, you always have like mile races or whatever. Yeah, fitness and rampage yeah, rampage. you have like fitness, yeah. or whatever it is. And you're, you and your classmates will go out and they'll run four laps around the football field. And I was always pretty good at that. So I was like, Oh, maybe I'm decent at running. I don't know. And My mom got this job with the American Cancer Society and they hosted Community 5Ks, and I got and started running those, and I started doing pretty well. I think the first one I ever ran, I was, like, scared for my life, but I came in third or something, and it was exciting. I ran, like, 22 minutes, 23 minutes or something. It wasn't a very uh, competitive race, you would say, but uh, after that, I, I think I ran another one and maybe ran 21 minutes, and that's still, like, fifth grade. It's like, okay, what well, I might be all right in this. And so I started kind of just doing it a little bit more, yeah, and uh, started just building up and uh, just trying to get, and just started getting pretty good and started running in middle school, I guess in like seventh grade and moved up to varsity after a few races. And that's kind of the rest is history pretty much.
0: Yeah. You won a couple of Gatorade uh, Player of the Year awards from high school, right?
2: Yeah. And in, in my 11th grade year, I, I got the Gatorade Cross Country Runner of the Year. I didn't win a couple. It was only no, one. Only one only, yeah. Only. I'm, I'm not Christian Balser. So uh, <laughs> uh, I think Christian I think stole it from me my senior year if I, if I remember correctly, but yeah, no, I, I got it my 11th grade year and it was a fun experience. It was, it was really cool to be like, okay, yeah, I guess I'm the top runner in the state. And it was kind of weird just because I came from such a small school. So like the, the atmosphere around what running was in Mississippi at the time was like, if you had to go to a big school, if you were going to be a fast runner. And I was like, no, we're going to flip that status quo. Like, I'm just going to completely flip that. And I'm going to go and just try to be like fast out of this little small school. And so we were able to build up a pretty good team at this one, a private school that was actually racing in the public school division. And we just got pretty good. It was, it was exciting to
0: see. That was pretty cool. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't think I've ever seen a one, a school beat or like even be that good. Sorry about that. But like, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, no, it it it, it usually aren't too often.
2: Yeah, no, we, we, we were kind of the anomaly there and we weren't like incredible. But I think at the end of the season we were ranked fifth or sixth in the state, overall one through six oh A. Yeah. So it, and in Mississippi, I mean, you have to keep in mind this was a few years ago, so it wasn't quite as competitive as is as it is now. And then yeah, have to just there are other factors, I guess, the at play. But yeah, we were we were fifth or sixth. Uh, you can fact check that someplace. Like, I think impressive. it's it's on mile split someplace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: that's pretty good though. Isn't it like one A school? The yeah.
2: State? That's we had I think 170 students in our high school
0: in wow. your entire high school yeah oh my god yeah, yeah. no that's uh i think wow. we had double that in my graduating class so yeah, my
2: graduating class was 41 42 something like that my
1: graduating class was 850 yeah.
0: so that's a little that's, that's a little different <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: is that like i mean you can kind of apply that same logic to mc yeah, is that part of the reason
2: you came to MC? In a lot of ways, yeah, that was that was something that was attractive about it. It was like, okay, this is going to be a smaller school. It's going to be a little bit of an upgrade because where I was from, I mean, there, like I said, there's only 40 people in my class, and so where I, it was, it was kind of just that shift of like, okay, it's going to be a smaller environment. And I really liked the idea of it being a Christian school. That was one of the other factors that uh, brought me to MC, and then also just meeting the team, seeing the culture, and I felt like I fit in well with the guys, and um, it, it ended up being. Just a great experience, and it was something that I, um, it, it was definitely just something that I f- I felt like I fit in at MC. Whenever, I I, yeah. I
0: mean, I felt that whenever I. Came. Yeah. I think yeah. I guess we all did because you know we came because we're all here. Yeah, we're still here. Yeah, we're still here. still here. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. So it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, let's jump forward in time a little bit. So you spent this last summer training with Tim Alley. Um, so how did that come up, and can you talk to us a little bit about what that experience was
2: like? yeah so last uh last winter we were in boston with the mississippi college track team and we were racing there were, i think coach brought five or six of us it was like me jan cole christian yeah. gabe it was yeah, it was a small crew and hunter it, it was a small crew we were in boston we were racing at the indoor facility there that everyone goes to because it's incredible and uh i, I ran the mile that day and i think it was the same day that Woody Kincaid ran twelve fifty three or whatever he ran in the five K and set the American record. And I was there with my camera. I was filming some stuff and I was kind of creating a vlog for my channel. But at the same time, Sam Parsons was in that race. He ran 1312 that day. And he'd set the German indoor five K national record. So I'm like leaving the facility after my race, after watching him do this and after watching Sam do what he did. Like it was just crazy. Um and I'm leaving the facility, and I'm wearing a hat from a couple creators that I watch, at uh, Colin and Samir, and they make content for content creators. And so Sam is the creative director at Ten Man. He saw the hat and was like, "Wait, I love those guys." And I was like, "Wait a second, what are you talking about?" And he was like, oh, "The hat." Like I was like, "Oh, okay, cool, yeah, I love- it's Colin and Samir, they're awesome." And so we started talking about Colin and Samir. I had the camera. Next one thing led to another. He was like, "Dude, send me some your stuff. Like, that's I, I want to see it." And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so I uh, get get back to campus, and I shoot him a DM, said he, yeah. here's my YouTube channel, go check it out. He looked at it and was like, oh yeah, this is this is sick. I love this stuff. And so he followed me back, kind of kept up with me for a month or two, and would like my post and comment on stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, sweet. I didn't know if it was gonna go any further than that. And then I want to say maybe two months after the after that happened in Boston, which that happened in like late January. <laughs> So maybe two months after that happened, Max McNerney, who's the photographer, Ten Men, reached out and was like, hey, you want to come intern for us this summer? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing the follow request and I was like, is this real?
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, but it, that was pretty much the whole story. And then I said, yeah, I'm, I want to go to Boulder. And so just kind of followed up and we figured out how to make it work. And I said, yeah, come on out. And so I lived out there from June 1st to august 6th and it was just an incredible experience i got to train for eight weeks at altitude and the the training was hard um yeah. i know i know a lot of people ask the question of like humidity training versus altitude training like what's harder and so the training i, I would say that it's harder to recover at altitude like mm-hmm. in in the humidity you guys know i sweat like a fiend like i sweat so much whenever i run but whenever i was at altitude i wasn't sweating as much but recovering after was just impossible so like the one thing you trade off here you have to just take in so many electrolytes and so many carbs and be sure you're su- taking supplements and stuff because you're just sweating stuff out constantly mm-hmm. but up there it was like i didn't have to think about that quite as much even though i was really like meticulous about it but the it was just impossible to recover like i would run a hard workout and the next day i would have to like almost walk my recovery runs because my legs were just destroyed
0: yeah. wait, and wait what why like I I'm still, it gets a little confused. Why is it harder for you to recover out there?
2: I, I guess just the altitude. Like, I, I don't know exactly what the reason is. It, it's at 5,000 feet, Yeah. but it was like, after I would do a workout, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that felt pretty good. And then I'd go out the next day and try to run. I'd be like, Oh gosh, my legs are not working right now. Yeah. And of course, like I, I was doing hard workouts every now and then, like threshold type, like the double threshold workout. I did mm-hmm. that one time. That was like the next day after that workout. I was like, Oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to do a workout for another like four days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that, I would split the time between workouts but with a lot of days just because it was something that was um it, it was just required because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't recovering well um uh, just because of the altitude but mm-hmm. it was it was just an adjustment that I had to make and I would just supplement it by running more miles and a lot of easy yeah. stuff and that allowed me to build up a lot of fitness and it was a great it was a great opportunity to uh, make videos and f- take photos for 10 man elite while also training for myself and making videos for myself which allowed me to really uh just i felt i felt like i was flourishing there it was just yeah. a great experience of uh, being able to do both of the things that i love
0: that was amazing um like okay well i guess a quick question would you go back if they asked you to come back
2: uh maybe they kind of uh mentioned mentioned it at one point <laughs> yeah like right before i left they were like you sure you need to go back and i was like uh <laughs> I probably need to yeah. probably need to go finish. I mean, uh, this is my senior year, so I need to yeah. finish at least at least this year. I gotcha. But if they don't bring in a full time creator between now and whenever, like the end of spring, now in May, then I might go back and work for them full time. Really? And yeah. So, That's yeah. only out of Colorado. Yeah. Wow. We'll fun. see how it goes. So
1: yeah. <laughs> you need to keep training. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I would do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know
2: what I'd be training for. We'll see.
0: Oh, you start doing marathons and stuff like that? But I mean I
2: have another year of eligibility after this too. So like if if I don't take it, then I don't know. It's not the end of the world, but I have I have the opportunity to take it and I could I guess try to walk on it, see you or something like that.
0: You ran at Mags over
2: there, right? I ran on all the all the big all the big three. So you have Gold Hill, you got Mags, and you have Rollinsville. Okay. And so Rollinsville is like the easiest of the three supposedly that was uh, that was the day i felt the worst though so uh, i'm gonna say it's the hardest of the three <laughs> <laughs> because i just felt like garbage that day from mile one um it, and that that run just killed me for some reason Uh but then after that i ran i got run mags maybe a week before rollinsville or two weeks before rollinsville and mags is hard it's rolling hills mm-hmm. it's at eight or nine thousand feet okay. and it's it's just up and down so there's it, it's just a difficult route like there's no way around it. anything you run on mags is going to be difficult
0: okay so is it is it kind of like flowers around
2: here yeah it's, it's pretty much like flowers like okay. none it's of just, the viewers are going to know what flowers okay. is it's <laughs> <a really> difficult
1: <laughs> Very horse, difficult so. <laughs> Down six miles yeah. Is,
2: yeah yeah six and a half mile loop but uh yeah it's kind of like flowers there's a lot of there's a gradual climb mm-hmm. so for mags it depends on what side you start on what side of the road because it's an out and back yeah so you can start at the I guess it's like the west side, or you can start at the east side. So if you start at the west side, you start with a downhill, and then you come back and you climb up. Mm-hmm. You start at the east side, you start with a. I mean, I think if you start at the west side, you start with an uphill, and then you come down or something like that. Okay. It, whatever, whichever direction it is, yeah, it's you have a net uphill one way and a net downhill the other way, depending on what side you start on. So it ends up like some people will start mags and they started on the downhill side and they're running downhill and they're hitting these hills and they're like, Oh dude, this is mags great. is nothing. This yeah. is great. I feel so easy. And they turn around and they're like, Oh man, what did I get myself into? And they start like climbing this thing. And it, it's just, it's a difficult route. But then the third of those routes is gold Hill, which gold Hill is, I would say the hardest of the three. It's, it's like you put mags on crack. Mm. <laughs> and, okay. and, uh, the, whenever I ran it, a lot of people will just do an out and back on it, which an out and back is it's respectable. It's difficult, a lot of climbs. Yeah. It, it's similar to mags and if you out, just do an out and back I, on I think
1: it. Think I've of Gold Hill. Before. Is is it literally just straight up on one way and then like straight down the other way?
2: Um, maybe that sounds like Rollinsville. Sounds like Rollinsville. Yeah, yeah. you could have run Gold Hill. I I don't know because Rollinsville is straight up. You go, you go out to like a tunnel and then you flip and go back, so it's straight up out and then back is downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gold Hill is like. A lot of climbs and a lot of just rolling hills the okay. whole time. Okay. But the way we ran it, we ran a 19 and a half mile loop and got picked up at mile 18. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember, so, that. Yeah. remember that workout. Yeah. yeah. So we started and it's, you start and you do a little bit of a quarter mile, you like quarter mile climb, you bomb this downhill. And they call this downhill Big Bertha because usually you have to come back up it.
3: Mm.
2: We cut that part out because we, <laughs> we got picked up at the bottom. Yeah. But by the time we made it to mile five, I heart rate was up. I was It was tough. And I was just like, okay, I'm gonna manage this. Like, I wasn't trying to just destroy the pace. I was running with most of the CU guys at that point, and made it up to mile five or so. I was like, okay, I can manage this. Then we hit this downhill for five minutes straight, and we're just running downhill for five minutes. Oh, and I'm like, this is it, what, like, this is going down. We got to come back up yeah. at some point. And oh, no. I knew I was, I knew I was in trouble. And we made it to the bottom of this hill. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, okay, finally. And I, I was just running like. As small as I could, because I didn't want to destroy my quads because this is six miles into a 19 mile run. Yeah. I didn't want to just destroy my quads and I'm like, okay, I got to run a long way and I never run this route and it's at 9,000 feet. And it's like, there's a lot of different factors going into this. And so I start climbing up the hill that is at the bottom of this hill. We, we hit the bottom and we just start gradually climbing. I'm like, okay, whatever. Climb for a mile. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Like straight, like straight up. And then we climb for a mile and a half. And at this point, I've been running for like 10, 11 minutes. I split an 830 mile middle of this run. I stop. I look at the one guy who's running next to me. He's dying. I look at him and I'm like, bro, how far does this thing go? And he like continues to like trudge up. And I'm just stopped like in my tracks. And he's like, it's a two mile climb. I'm like, okay, I can make another half mile. I'll be fine. And so I make it, I climb another half mile and just complete death. Dude, it was, it was one of the worst climbs ever. We gained something like a 1,000 feet in two miles.
3: Whoa. And God. yeah,
2: so we make it up to the top of the hill. The rest of the city, you guys are sitting there, and they're like, yeah, man, that's called the Ward Climb. It's one of the hardest climbs you can do out here and it's one of the hardest climbs like in this area i was like oh, i could tell and I, yeah. I, I didn't know it was coming but uh i can tell it's definitely pretty difficult yeah
1: for the viewers i've never done that <laughs> right now that was not what i did <laughs> yeah
2: and then but then we made it to the top and i look look at the guys. i'm like okay that was that was manageable like that hurt a lot and i didn't know what to expect i wish somebody would have told me it was a two mile climb going into it but nobody <laughs> yeah. told me that and so i make it up there i was like okay like i knew the run was gonna be hard but made it up there and they, they looked at me and they're like yeah that was that's the hardest climb but we got more uh, and so we take a left and we pretty much start hitting these rolling hills and we we make it up to uh get get some water at like 13 miles into the route I'm like oh man that was insane and then they're like okay was, we're gonna make it to 18 and so they start like rolling they just leave me it's like ah whatever like they got it i'm just gonna roll on these hills i'm gonna manage them as best i can and the rest of the way back was like max i was like oh this is the easy part <laughs> and, then, and it was just rolling hills the whole time and i finished that run up and i was like okay well that was that was awesome that was manageable and the guys looked at me and they're like dang you just did that
3: and
1: i was like yeah i just did that I, was, I feel good yeah, yeah. Just a guy from Mississippi. <laughs> like as you should. Yeah.
2: yeah, they don't have stuff like that in Mississippi, so.
1: No,
2: not. <laughs> nope.
1: we got flowers, which yeah, is which flowers. is hard. So flowers in Vicksburg, is, and Vicksburg. So for flowers, we gained about one thousand feet through about thirteen miles. How yeah, have you gained a thousand through two.
2: I gained. And I gained twenty six hundred in that whole run.
1: Like that is oh, disgusting. Okay.
2: <laughs> just, yeah. Just imagine. Even whenever I ran flowers the other day, when I ran the 19 mile loop, whenever like 19 and a half on flowers the other day, that only had like 1100 feet. Yeah. It yeah.
1: Was just not the same. Yeah. <laughs> it
3: was.
2: It's it, it,
0: like so hard for me to fathom right now because I I absolutely bombed flowers and yeah, it was just like that. That destroyed my quads and I think if I would have gone, there, uh-huh. I probably would have passed out or there's something. There's just
2: there. nothing but there's constant hills on flowers. At least whenever you run Gold Hill or you run Mags, you run one of those routes. There's like. There's like sections where it goes downhill. You get, you get slight breaks where you're like, okay, I can rest. I can chill out here. But well, flowers, is just like, okay, we're yeah. up and we're down. Yeah. And we're up and we're down for mm-hmm. six and a half miles. And if you're on three loops, there's never an off. Yeah, no. You're just on, off, on, off, like up the hills, down the hills, up the hills, down the hills. And There's never a point where you get to catch your breath. Mm-hmm. And so you just stop yeah. at the end of the loop and you're like, okay, water, breath. Okay, back, back on another on, one. Yeah. yeah. My
1: goodness. Yeah. Well, that is, that is crazy. I mean... But let's go. Let's go back to earlier. So you mentioned you were doing content creating out there, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen those 10 man videos, following the 100 mile weeks. So, yeah. what got you into content creating? And when did that start?
2: Oh man, uh, <laughs> let me think. So, seventh grade, uh, my friend Zach started doing photography, and he was in he was on the yearbook staff, and he started doing this, and he started taking photos of the stars. I was like, okay, well, that's cool. I didn't know you could even take photos of the stars. I, just had, a, I had an iPhone. And I, I think if, if we take this back even further, whenever I was like seven or eight, my grandfather would take me around the around Mississippi. He had this news story that he had like these news stories that he did They were called Southern Memories. He would write them up in the newspaper and he would put them out in the like local newspaper we had. And people really enjoyed the stories, but he would take me around to the different spots. And what he would do, he would tell the stories of these individual towns. So whatever these towns were, let's say like he would go to Vicksburg and he would find a story in Vicksburg specific to Vicksburg, be like, okay, I'm going to tell the story of this one lady in this town and what her heritage is and what her ancestors did and all this stuff. And he would take me along on these and he had, he gave me like this little camera. And so I would take photos of whatever was going on at, in these spots. And I would take photos of the buildings and the trees and stuff. And so that's kind of what started me kind of in photography whenever I was like seven or eight or something. And then In seventh grade, my friend, Zach, he got a camera. He joined the yearbook staff. Mm -hmm. He started taking photos of the stars. And outside of that, um, I I saw that and I said, mom, can I join the yearbook staff? Will you get me a camera? And she said, yeah, I'll get you a camera for Christmas. And so I got a camera for Christmas. It was like a Nikon D3200. Mm -hmm. It was just a little cheap, nothing camera yeah, I'm going to start taking photos of the stars. And so I talked to my grandfather again, the guy who pretty much got me into photography technically and talked to him and said, Hey, can, can we like go someplace where it's dark so we can take better photos of the stars? He looked at me. He's like, where do you want to go? I was like, well, I want to go out West.
3: <laughs>
2: and he said, okay, well, we can go out West. So, Okay. He said, bring Zach with you. So me and my friend, Zach, the guy, both the people who pretty much got me into photography, we ended up on this trip out in California in Joshua tree. And we're just, we're just hanging out there taking photos of the stars. We took a whole like trip out, out West to the darkest places we could find like Utah, Zion, mm-hmm. like wherever we were, we were trying to take photos of the stars. And sometimes it was hard. Cause like the moon would rise at certain odd hours. And so it was kind of hard to uh, get great photos, but there were some really good photos we got that summer. And or, it was actually spring. It was like a spring break trip. It was like a 10 day spring break trip or something like that. But we got a lot of really good photos then. And I just kept kind of taking photos and, uh, beyond that, I started doing photography a little bit more. I started doing a lot of portrait stuff in 10th grade, 11th grade, something like that. I got a nice portrait lens, started doing portraits for random people around town in Tupelo, just kind of a hustle that I would do on the side. People would pay me like 30 bucks and I would just take random photos for them. And yeah, and so it was just a quick way. I was like, oh, I can go make $20 just taking photos for somebody. Okay, whatever. So I'd go and do like people's Instagram photos and I'd be like, what are you going to use these for? They're like, I just Instagram. I was like, okay, cool. And that was pretty much the end of it. And uh, then in 11th grade, I was like, you know, I'm gonna try out video. So I had my photo camera that was terrible at video and I brought it along to a track meet, which is, I think that meet is still on my YouTube channel. You can see the first vlog that I ever had ever posted. It's terrible. It was an indoor track meet. And I, I was like, nobody's making content at indoor track meets. Whatever. I'm bringing the camera. <laughs> like, uh, this is going to be fun. Was this with Jacob? Was it? Was Jacob? Jacob. Jacob wasn't one of those. Okay. And Jacob was in one. And uh, Preston Nolan. I, I, I guess you kind of know Preston. He's here. He's here on campus. He okay. lives with Adam. Okay. Yeah. But he used to run. And so it was Jacob and Preston. And that was kind of the OG crew. And it was just my team back in high school. And I was like, I'm going to bring a camera along. It's like a 15, 20 minute vlog for no reason. It's got moments that should have definitely been cut out. (laughs) And I was editing on the worst software on the planet. It was called HitFilm Express. (laughs) I had had a Toshiba computer that was like, they could barely handle it. And I was trying to import the files and edit. It just didn't work. And so the video is terrible. So if you look at that, you're gonna see that the video is terrible. I'm gonna have to watch this now. Yeah, you gotta watch it. You guys, you guys gotta go watch It's The first video ever on the channel. Go comment that you came from the came from the podcast. Yes, go do that. Go please. But. But yeah, that that was one of the first videos I did. And then I was like, yeah, I'm just going to keep bringing the camera along. And then eventually I got a little bit of a better camera and then I got a little bit, bit of a better computer. And I was like, oh, well, I can make a little bit better videos. Yeah. So I started making better videos and I just kind of started, I-, I enjoyed the process of creating videos and cutting clips and color grading and whatever, all- whatever else was involved. Was just a fun process for me. And it was kind of a creative outlet. And I was like, yeah, oh, I'm just going to keep making this stuff. And then by the time I got to college, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, keep making content whatever happens happens mm-hmm. and, and amidst all this i got relatively famous on tiktok m- doing music recommendations out of I, all things i have
0: seen you've seen these videos. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. that was funny it's yep. it cool because like i don't know the first thing i said was oh my god it's baby brock yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you whenever you were younger i'd never seen yeah like, the short is such shorter hair too even if i
2: cut my hair now you'd be like who are you? Because <laughs> because no, yeah, I look because look so young. Oh, yeah. it, it's weird whenever I have shorter hair, I look a lot younger. That's but great. um, but yeah, no, I I was I was getting a lot of traction on TikTok, and then I was like, oh, I can do this on, uh, I can do this on YouTube, whatever. It's no no issue. And then I started making YouTube videos. I was like, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is difficult. I got to figure this out. And so it took me a few years to really kind of figure out how to make a good YouTube video and what what all went into that. And I just started studying it. Which became a student. Yeah. That was a big thing of like, I'm just going to take a lot of time to figure out how to make better YouTube videos and just learn as much as I can while still creating at the same time. So, and then all my mess ups along the way are out there for everyone to see yeah. because it's YouTube and like, you can look at the old videos and be like, yeah, like this video sucks, but you can see how it progresses to the next video and the next video, and the next video. And now you can yeah. see how it is, where, where it is now. And I, I feel like that's an important process to see. Cause like, it's not always going to be pretty. And even in those earlier years, I probably thought it was the best video ever. Like I, I I made it and I was like, dude, this music, this is sick. And like, I probably like jam and like bobbing my head to it. And then I look back at it and I'm just like, dude,
3: it's terrible. Yeah.
2: But at the time I probably thought it was really good. And then I learned, okay, well maybe not that. And like over throughout the process, I like cut stuff out and add extra stuff in and just, I guess just make the process a little bit more precise, I which you. allows me to just make better videos overall so that's that's kind of just what i guess the creative side of things is in a lot of ways like
0: so you've learned a lot like through doing it took the experience has helped you uh just become so much better and i feel like i feel like our podcast is kind of starting to do that now because uh we had another podcast before this and it was really bad
3: uh and
2: that's a that's a thing
0: yeah you have to mess up and like you know fail fail as fast as you can yeah that's uh you
2: definitely gotta mess up and you gotta like there's gonna be things that you figure out like you're gonna look back at whatever you're making right now and you're gonna be like this is terrible yeah this is completely awful why do we ask those questions why did we go in and what like why why were we asking these questions why were we not asking these questions why did we choose this aesthetic why why do we put the text this way like you're gonna look at these things be like that's terrible. Like, why would anybody want to visually see that? And, like, nobody, <laughs> nobody would ever want to look at yeah. that. And you know, you're gonna look back on it if you if you keep up with it. Like, that's a big thing is if you keep up with it, you're gonna look back on it and be like, okay, that was terrible. And it's it's fine. It yeah. should be terrible. But it's like, okay, but what do we have now? Understanding, having a frame of reference of that was terrible because what I'm making now is much better mm-hmm. is kind of like the best way you can compare. You'd be like, oh, well, what I'm making now is so much more. I guess, well edited or well created or well thought out or whatever it is. And like, Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of the learning process. And eventually you just create such a streamlined process where you end up having like a Joe Rogan setup where he's literally doing podcasts every day and talking for three hours straight. And it's just like, he has everything streamlined. He knows exactly what to do. And he knows the exact questions to ask. He knows exactly how to edit it. He knows exactly how to make the cuts, like whatever that is, that whole process he has figured out. He's got the microphones, he's got the lights, he's got everything. And eventually like you start to figure that out and you're like, dang it, why did we use this little <laughs> ring light? Like, yeah. like, like we should have used a bigger, a bigger light. What, what would what we be thinking? And yeah. like that's, that's just part of the process of growing and growing as a creator.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you like going back and watching those old videos then?
2: I mean, they're kind of cringy. Yeah. I, mean, I, I might go back and watch them. I'm like, ah, oh, this is kind of gross, but it's like, if I see it, like every now and then I'll, I'll like click on it. I'm like, okay, like whatever. We'll, we'll see what this video looks like. Yeah. It can't be that bad. <laughs> and then, and then I watch it. And I'm like, yeah, no, it was that bad. I'm just making a PB and J. Like, why am I, why did I leave this in? <laughs> yeah. No, I remember like the second video I ever did, which I don't even think that one's on the channel anymore. Uh, I, I like made a PB and J in the middle of the video and I was just kind of talking to the camera, just nonchalantly. And then I went into school the next day, and my coach looked at me. He was like, "Man, I watch you make that PV and shit." That's like, yeah, man, that was that was hype, wasn't it? This bump, man. Some music in the
1: background. Yeah, it was hype. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh,
2: but it's just—it's all just a learning process. And you see—you see things that other people do, whenever you're like a creator, and you see the things that other people are creating, you're like, oh, "Okay, well, that's really cool." Like, I—I I think I can do something like that. And the thing is, like you aren't them. And until you find exactly what your niche is, yeah. you can't cater to the same audience that they're catering to because you aren't catering to that, their audience, you're catering to your audience. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, if you think of like Casey Neistat, Casey Neistat just makes videos of him wandering around New York and talking to the camera and they're kind of cinematic and they're very bare minimum. And there, they were good videos, like, especially whenever he was making them a lot of, like every day, a few years ago, however, four or five years ago, whenever he was making a video, literally like every day, that was a big thing with him. And um, I, I, I think, a, I think it just ends up being like I can't make a Casey Neistat video. Yeah. <laughs> like if I tried to make a Casey Neistat video, it wouldn't cater to the same audience. It might be cool for a second because you're like, if if I did it well enough, you'd be like, oh, well, that's cool. It's kind of like Casey's, and you'd see it and you'd be like, oh, well, that's cool. But it's not catering to my audience. And so I, I'm trying to create the most streamlined and catered video style that portrays the message to a community of people who are runners. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I'm constantly striving towards. How can I convey this message better? And it's just understanding who your audience is and what value you're actually providing for your audience. Cause some people don't know what their value is. Yeah. Like that's, that's the biggest thing.
0: I, yeah, I think that that's what we struggled with the most on the last, uh, podcast. And I don't know, that's what we're trying to do, I guess, a little bit more this time. We're trying to figure that out. Mm -hmm. and Like we've already, you know, tightened our niche to just running. Whereas last time it was just like anyone that like breathes, has a pulse. Yeah. Basically we're just like, you know, sure. Okay. (laughs) We had some cool people on there, but then it was also just like, I mean, we, we weren't giving the, we weren't giving the the audience anything that was of value like yeah like what you're saying so it's just like why why were they gonna listen to this It's like yeah no reason unless you're talking to
2: someone who's like an expert in their field
0: yeah well i mean even then like we weren't asking you you have to ask the right questions yeah yeah yeah, we were just talking like we interviewed this like cave diver and like it's like pretty cool like he's he's an expert in his field and it's like it's like so how'd you get into this? And then we're just like, that's almost all we would talk about. It was just like cool experiences he did, which was cool to listen to for us. But I feel like. The, yeah. The, you, the yeah. Would just be like, and you didn't really know the questions to ask because no, you
2: aren't a cave. You don't really know anything like about cave dive. diving. Yeah. And, um.
0: But yeah, I don't know, but okay. All right. So I guess moving yeah. on from content creating, uh, like going back into running, mm-hmm. Um. you were injured your freshman year. Yep. And I guess, you know, take us through that. That was a process, man. Yeah.
2: That was a dark place. <laughs> uh, we'll yeah. 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 No, I, I remember being injured. I felt like I was putting, I put a lot of my worth, I guess, in running at that time. And I didn't really know it until like everything just like hit the fan. Um, but that freshman season I came in and I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to try to like be as good of a runner as I possibly can be. and I'm going to try to train super hard. And, I didn't have the greatest form. Um, I, I did. I had terrible form in high school. You look at any old videos of me in high school, which I don't know if I have any of those, but I had terrible form.
0: Like what about it?
2: Um, it was bouncy. It was like, my cadence was probably 155. Mm. Um, I was like, it just casually. And even if I, if I raced, I would be lucky to get it up to one seventy. Wow. Yeah. Huge stride. Yeah. And it just, just inefficient, but it, it I looked like a freaking gazelle out there running, but pretty inefficient. And, uh, Whenever I'll see where was I going with that? But injury. Yeah. yeah. So in high school I had terrible form and then I tried to fix it coming into college and I fixed it pretty well. I remember talking to Reneker and Weber, like whenever I came in, they were like, We thought we were gonna have to fix your form a lot. I was like, No, nah, I've been fixing it. No, <laughs> no, I've been working on it. And so i have been working on it. And I I'd been getting it better and I've been focusing on cadence and I didn't look as bad as I did in high school. And so I looked pretty decent as far as like form goes for the most part. I was still bouncy, still not super efficient and super powerful. Cause that's kind of like what as a middle distance type runner, which is kind of what I am more of a 1500 type guy. Mm-hmm. I I have that power that you need to be a 1500 guy and a miler. And uh, yeah, I, I started training super hard and started pushing myself really hard in workouts and really hard in weights and everyone was. And so I was like, Oh, well, this is normal. And then I was so sore and so beat up every day. Mm. i was like ah, oh, like mentally I'll, I'll push through it i just get like whatever i get through it we'll be all right yeah, yeah. that me up coach henneker okay? <laughs> yeah it was it was, it was super <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what i did uh,
2: no but yeah, uh, the uh maybe
0: can't imagine what he no did. but then at that
2: point uh, i was just i was just training super hard yeah. and just kind of stupid and coach was uh i i, I just don't think i was I just wasn't doing it in the smart way. I was just trying to push myself to the max as opposed to like keeping it at a maintained effort and trying to progress slowly. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is I started getting uh, IT band issues and it just started flaring up, I guess, towards the end of the season at conference. And this is a COVID season too. So it doesn't even count for anything really. Like we get this season back, Mm -hmm. but it felt like it counted for everything. And I was like, I want to be good and I want to be fast at this. And so I started just pushing as much as i could in practice and training and everything and then by the end of the season uh by conference i couldn't run really anymore it was like i i could i would go out and try to run and then my knee would just give out because of the it band issues I was like oh i can't do this like whatever and i would try to massage it roll it out whatever i could do but it was just too inflamed at that point where i just couldn't run anymore really and that was the big issue at the end of the season. I was like, well, okay, like that'll be fine. I'm going to try to roll it out. I'll try to get some therapy done on it. So I took some time off. Got some dry kneeling done in Tupelo over like Christmas break and stuff. Maybe it's Thanksgiving break. I don't remember. But I was back home for an extended period of time and had some therapy done for it. And then I went to the beach as I'm building back up. I went to the beach uh, in January (laughs) with... uh, It was like at New Year's, like end of December, early part of January, with my friend Preston, who we talked about earlier. And we ended up, uh, I, we skated around. It was like me and Preston and Ben Will House. And we skated around for uh, like all the seaside and that 30A area. Uh, yeah. And just that constant movement. I think I was wearing these same shoes right there too, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> but that constant movement put a lot of strain on the Achilles. And as I'm building back up, my legs weren't used to handling a ton of strain yet. And that strain on the Achilles ended up putting me out for pretty much the rest of my season. <laughs> From January all the way to May, and I I was trying to kind of build back up, but it was like it band messed up, and then Achilles flared up. I was like, okay, well, this isn't good. And I just kind of like took a bunch of time off, and I I didn't really know what to do with my free time. (laughs) And I I, was just kind of like a difficult spot to be in, like mentally, like emotionally. I was like, like, what do I do? Like, I've been running, and running has been kinda of like my life, but what am I gonna do now? And I, I don't think I handled it super well. I think there were definitely ways that I would recommend you handle getting injured as opposed yeah. to uh what I ended up doing. But which I, I didn't do anything super bad. I'm not saying I like I started doing like heroin or anything like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: that that didn't that didn't happen. But uh yeah.
0: Well, think, like what what would you recommend for someone that like like
2: a better way to handle injury? Yeah. yeah I thought about making a YouTube video about this too. Oh, yeah? But just first thoughts or uh take take the time off initially. If you're if you're at a point where it's like a chronic injury and you have the ability to take some time off, take some time off maybe a week, maybe two weeks, whatever that is, maybe three weeks, maybe it's a month, whatever whatever your injury is, whatever the doctor says you should take off, take that time off. Would you cross train? And during that time, cross train and focus on getting better. Focus on strength focus on going to the weight room lifting if you have the ability to whenever you're injured because some injuries they don't you shouldn't be lifting like Mm -hmm. if you have a stress fracture you probably shouldn't be lifting a ton or like there's there's just different things but um like focus on just doing the things right like practice a healthy diet uh cross-train lift and just psychologically stay in the game stay like on edge ready to compete ready to be a competitor by the time you get back and I mean, use your time off as kind of a rela- relaxation time, like recover, let your mind kind of wander off a little yeah. bit, maybe, but be, be still, uh, just don't step too far away from it. Don't step too far away from the grind and from the racing and everything. And then that's, that's probably the best approach that you can possibly take. And I, I did not take that approach. I just like chilled out and did nothing. And I was like, ah, oh, it'll get better. And then I realized, okay, I got to do some therapy. Like this is taking too long to get better. Yeah. And then by the end of that year, I I had redshirted. I guess both of those seasons. And by the end of that year, I was like, "All right, I'm going to race an 800." And so I raced an 800, and I had like two or three weeks of training under me. And I ran like I was like, "I'm going to run my heart out in this." I was like, "I haven't I haven't raced in four months. I'm just going to run as hard as I possibly can." And I ran 158, and I think I blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Oh I was laying on the I was laying on the turf, just like. I couldn't see anything i was like where am i <laughs> and i remember i just remember just going out so hard in that race and being like all right i'm just gonna go for it whatever happens happens That's insanely impressive,
0: though. And That's yeah, yeah. it's only three weeks of training three and three being out for like, like
2: yeah yeah it was it was it was hard
0: yeah, i'm sure yeah. yeah well okay question so would you say for cross training was uh swimming or biking or any like
2: other uh, I mean, whatever you can do. I know whenever I was in Boulder, I remember hearing uh, Dathan Ritzenheim, the on coach, talk about how biking isn't good for you. It's not good for your hips, not good for your joints, really. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much truth is in that, but I remember hearing him specifically talk about that. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, why are you biking? Like, Why would you do that? And I'm like, oh, well, if the, if the on coach is saying this, then maybe it's better to swim or do aqua jogging or something along those lines because mm-hmm. you can get tight hips and tight, quads like whatever is created from uh the tension created from cycling that he was referring yeah. to and I, I don't know how much truth is in that but i, I just remember hear, hearing him specifically say that I, I remember hearing him specifically talk about uh the dangers of biking like okay well if the on if the oac coach is talking about how you probably shouldn't be cycling then maybe you should swim and do aqua jogging and whatever else you can do
0: gotcha yeah okay i mean I not gonna lie. So you told me that a little bit ago, and that is why I've started swimming a little bit more now. So, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I just did a five hundred today. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, part of the recovery day stuff. But yeah, yeah, it feels pretty good. Yeah, uh, for, for yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think it, it depends
2: on who you are. I know Jan bikes a lot, or he, he was cross training a lot. Mm-hmm. He's literally national champion in the ten k. So like, you can't, you can't like, look you at argue it. With him. You can't it. argue with him about <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. I know Balser bikes a lot and he's, yeah. he's an incredible athlete and yeah. he loves it. And so I'm like, yeah, no, keep doing it. Like if you love it, keep doing it. Yeah. But, uh, and that was just kind of the perspective I got on it for, for me. Swimming is harder than biking. Like I can, I, I die in a pool. Like yeah. <laughs> a pool is the hardest place. A pool is like hell for me. Like I, I hate swimming, dude. It
0: is, it is hard to pick up. Uh, and it's like, I always tell people this because I swear if you, Get a swimmer and tell them to run. They can run super well. Like, yeah, yeah, a swimmer yeah. can be a great runner. I used to swim. Did you? Oh, well, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. but did you swim first or did you run first?
2: Uh, I want to say I swam first. I started swimming like second grade.
0: Okay. Well, all right. Now we got to get into this. All right, how how long did you swim? I
2: swam from like second to sixth grade. Okay. And I was so I was pretty. Disprove my theory. I but. was pretty competitive and. I remember, like, I, I won most every race I was in. Like, I was quick in in the pool, okay. but I, I didn't like the pool. Uh-oh. I just, I hated the pool.
1: Really good, I was really
2: good. I, just, <laughs> I, was really good. <laughs> I, I was like, I was good at swimming, but I hated the pool.
1: It's Funny, I was awesome. So I swam competitively for five years as well. Yeah, and yeah, we all did. Yeah. yeah, you did through high school. So yeah.
2: yeah,
0: I yeah, I, I,
1: didn't
2: I didn't go through high school uh, or
0: even through middle school. I'll be anything. honest
1: though, I also hate swimming. It's terrible. Yeah, y'all are
2: just yeah. haters. It's it, always, it, to bad me bad. to me it's the equivalent of running on a treadmill every day.
1: Yeah, it just. Goodness, it hurts. <laughs> I mean, can you can you argue with that? Like, uh, it's hard to
0: argue with that because it back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, like, there's just something about it to me. Where it's just like you're in the water and you're just kind of floating, and it's just I don't know. I find that very calming and relaxing for me. But I'm
2: freaking out. <laughs> if I'm in the if I'm in the water, I am like heart rate is up. I'm just fighting for my I'm life. To get up. Yeah, I'm, I'm fighting for my life. I can't breathe. I'm like, where's the oxygen? Yeah.
0: Well, dude, that's why. I mean, okay. Like, <laughs> obviously, I would rather breathe than hold my breath. But like, I don't know. That's why I feel like I can get more benefits from swimming. Yeah. Uh, for running, Cause like, and also I did a little bit of research last week. Um, because I was, it was a little bit of an argument with my roommate Matthew mm-hmm. about swimming and cross training and all that, and it said that just in in, in just twelve sessions of swimming it can help increase your oxygen intake by six percent yeah um if for, and this is like for people like this for runners they did it with tri athletes so they were pretty experienced in like all that kind of area but it's still like was showing that like you know swimming is can significantly help you with your running mm-hmm. so i don't know whenever i read that i was like okay now i want to swim even more and then i did two miles that day in the pool and you know, wanted to pass out and, you know, fall asleep for a good bit. Um, Yeah, but but if
2: you get benefits like that, it's like, okay, like, maybe you should try. Like, for me, like, I just hate swimming so much that, like, psychologically, I feel like it would just beat me up (laughs) too hard. I'd go out and try to run the next day, and I'd just be like, dude, I'm just mentally exhausted from trying to swim in the pool yesterday for an hour.
0: You still, you got that, like, I still have that smell. Because I swam, like, a couple hours ago. Yeah. Like, I still have that smell of chlorine in the pool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is...
2: No, well, like like you were talking about with uh with like swimmers being good runners, like you can take most swimmers. Oh yeah. And turn them into good runners because they have such a good aerobic system already built yeah. into them.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I remember like land training. You guys, do you guys ever do that for swimming? Do you ever do that? For swimming? Yeah, we at did. Land it's training? like only if it was like storming out. Okay. Well, we did some land training, and sometimes they make us run. And I was like, I'm gonna beat everyone here. Yeah, <laughs> so I will win. This so is this is my thing. And then um, so I realized quickly. I was like, maybe I'm better at running. I'm
2: better at running than I, than I am, am at swimming. swimming.
1: Yeah. But I feel like we're kind of on the topic of recovery anyway. Mm-hmm. So and I know you have some really interesting um thoughts and theories on recovery. Yeah, I
2: usually like to hang upside down. Yeah. No, I just made that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean,
0: I could not tell if you're messing with me. <laughs> Yeah, if you if
2: you walk into my room and see me as a bat over in the corner, then just like don't worry about it. Like, like just I just, I like there's like a pipe over here running through the room and i'm just i just like to hang from my, from my legs it really just gets the blood flow to the rest of the body out of the legs mm-hmm. so it
3: helps you grow. yeah no so
2: like recovery i, I don't know I, I i've been prioritizing it a lot lately uh, especially being with 10 men i think sleep is the best thing you can do uh, sleep is the most important thing you can do i think outside of that is eating getting enough calories in, getting enough food. And if you're not eating enough food and you're not sleeping enough, then you're not going to progress. Like it doesn't matter how hard you run your workouts. You're eventually just going to hit a wall and you're not going to be able to progress. Like you're, there's no way you are going to move past whatever that in threshold is for you. And like, you can like, there, there's a stick like different thresholds you had to break through in training. And like, you're just going to get stuck at the end of that threshold and not be able to go to the next gate pretty much. But but for me, I mean, I, I liked like even before runs, I like to do some lunges, work on hip activation. Uh, even if it's just an easy run, get my hips activated. Because like after whenever we show up at the track shed at five forty-five in the morning or five thirty in the morning, yeah. and we're trying to get ready to run, I'm like, oh man, my hips are tight, like my legs are tight. We had a workout yesterday, and so I'm like, okay, let me do a little bit of activation, some lunges, some whatever I can do to get my legs feeling. Decent. Then to get my hips feeling decent as well, um but then after running, I mean, I, I've like cold plunge. Cold plunging is is yeah. a big thing. You you did the cold plunge with me that one time, right? I did. Yes. Yeah, and I was, was
0: shivering the entire time. Yeah, teeth clattering. Yeah. It was
2: what was that five a.m. and like a, on like a winter day.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> shoot, I came I well, okay. So also Matthew and I had misheard what we were supposed to do. So you you guys had a
2: medium run, right?
0: Uh. Yeah, we did have a medium run. I did that day. Yeah, but the, the funniest thing though was like, I don't know. I guess I must have either Jacob must have like told me something, or I must have misheard him. Uh-huh. He's like, you need to get up thirty minutes before yep. um you do this or something like that. We got up at four thirty that morning, and like
2: thirty minutes before. No, you need to have a thirty minute window <laughs> after.
0: <laughs> no, dude, <if> we <laughs> yeah. got thirty minutes. You got you got to warm up just, if you're
2: gonna do it after.
0: It was awful. Like we woke up and we're like oh my god like we went to yeah. bed at like nine o'clock and still felt awful waking up and then you got
2: about 4 30 and you're just dreading it and then like you go to the cold plunge up to the neck it's like 50 degree water you're like oh man
0: yeah we know we sat outside for yeah, 30 minutes it was winter yeah <laughs> we got our chairs and went on the balcony just sat there for 30 minutes it was what? Matthew and I had some good talks but like it was still
1: like what are we doing right now? Like that's insane. <laughs> I like, that's insane, bro. I was like, and you were like, "We're gonna do this every day." And I was like, you will not do this every day." We did this. We it. twice.
2: Day. Yeah, yeah. You guys did it twice. It was,
0: it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. But it's yeah, like, you know, you know, you try something. You know, yeah. there was no harm that came there was no harm
2: you. that was gonna yeah. come from that. Like, and I, I remember I I did a lot. Like last semester, I'd wake up at five a.m. before six a.m. practice, and I'd go walk over to the healthplex, and then go up to my neck for six minutes. And this was like the day after a workout. So I didn't want to do it directly after a workout because I didn't want to like diminish the gains that I would get from the workout. Mm-hmm. Cause I've seen some studies, statistics about muscular, gain, muscular gains. And I'm like, that probably doesn't matter as much in endurance sports, but it was, it was the idea of, okay, if I get up at 5. AM the next morning and get into the cold water, let the inflammation go down, then I can start my run with literally zero inflammation. Mm-hmm. Ideally. And so I, I would walk to the healthplex at 5 a.m., sit in the cold plunge for five, ten minutes, whatever it was, and then I would walk to the track, and it would be 5:30, 5:45, whatever it was, and then I would kind of just walk around a little bit, or I'd start to just a light jog, run like an eight, twenty mile, just to get the legs back warmed up before we do an okay. easy run. Because
0: you wouldn't do hot tub after that either. You would No,
2: have- I mean, it would just be straight cold.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. Whenever you told me that, you told me that after we got out of the cold plunge and I was about to get in the hot tub, you're like, "No, no, no, hot tub, doing it." <laughs> I almost cried. It was yeah, but it and they got in the cold shower, and the yeah. cold shower felt hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it was a fun experience. I
2: don't know. I feel like I might have been a psychopath doing that last okay. semester. Wait, yeah, so wait, why was why, good.
0: why haven't you done that this year?
2: I uh, I I just don't feel like there's a need for it necessarily. Like I still do cold plunges and stuff, but I just don't feel like there's necessarily a need for me to get up earlier to sacrifice sleep for getting up early to go to the cold plunge i feel like sleep's going to be more important than getting cold and i can do cold exposure uh, a few hours after i do a workout and still have still feel decent Mm -hmm. so like that's kind of what i've been doing um but yeah i mean there's there's a lot of different things that i do as far as recovery goes like i got a massage gun i got uh like a band i like I, i say anyone if you're if you're a runner get like a static band just some sort of band that you can like do hamstring stretches with and stuff like that. And you can also get other bands. So you can do clamshells, hip activation, stuff like that, where you can just, just things to just things that are important is just eating, sleeping and stretching and just doing all the things right. And if you start to slack on some of those, then you're not going to progress in the way that you want to, or the way that you are trying to progress. And it's hard living in Mississippi. I know whenever I was out in Boulder with 10 man talking to Drew, Drew was like, dude, how do you guys, how do you do that? It's like I don't know. <laughs> yeah. He was like, "How do you get up at 5 every morning?" He's like, "When do you go to bed?" I was like, "He's like, even if you go to bed at 9, you're not getting enough sleep." I was like, "Oh." Wait, what? Yeah.
0: I didn't even think. 10, many, 11, 12,
2: 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That'd be 8 hours. 8 hours is the ideal. If you go to bed at 9 and wake up, that's the ideal for an average person. Yeah, I mean, let's say a, let's say you do it. It's, it's, like nine. It's, it's probably 9 or 10. If you're if you're if you're a runner and you're doing an insanely hard workout, like, how are you going to, you got to wake up then you got to recover during your sleep period. Mm. And so if you start slacking on that, you're getting five or six a night. Like, that's not where you want to be. And you're, you're not going to have the ability to really progress. And so that's something I'm been prioritizing a lot is just getting enough sleep. Which is just, it's, it's hard. Like I'll, I'll go to bed at eight 30 sometimes. Oh God. And I'll wake up at four 45 the next morning to get ready for a five 30 practice. Mm. And it's like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. And it's it sucks, but it's like no, you just don't do anything at night. Yeah, you just don't have a nightlife. Yeah, maybe in a few years sure. I'll have one after I graduate or something. Yeah. Right?
1: yeah, I mean, also naps help,
2: right? Naps help. Yeah, nap nap after nap after practice. So if you have to go to bed at ten or eleven or something because you're studying for a test, and you wake up the next morning at five, it's like okay, yeah, you slept five or six hours, but you can come back later in the day and just take a nap.
0: Okay, and- well. I have heard that naps, like, you can't catch up on sleep. I've heard that, like, it's like naps, naps obviously can help throughout the day, but I feel like, mm-hmm. like, from what I read, it was saying that, like, it really doesn't help in the whole scheme of, like, your sleep schedule and stuff. It's maybe, like, I
2: mean, it might not help as far as, like, a sleep cycle goes, but catching up relatively, I don't I don't know how much research, I, I haven't done a ton of research on this. I know, I know, good. like. Just- Michelangelo used to—I think it was Michelangelo—not
1: um, a ton of research, but Michelangelo, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: or maybe maybe it was Da Vinci, maybe it was Leonardo da Vinci. He he did cyclic sleep, which is where you—he would sleep like an hour, and he would sleep. He would take naps like throughout the day, oh, and okay. so he would sleep like zero times at night and would survive off of like 5 hours of sleep or something throughout at random times throughout the day.
0: That's ridiculous. that's so trippy. That's yeah. really weird.
2: It's it's a it's an interesting concept. I remember reading about it like 5 or 6 years ago or something. But he it was, it was it's called cyclic sleep and he he's like a big proponent of it. and he did it throughout most of his life and it allowed him to save a lot of time and be more productive because he had a lot of time in the day. And so somehow he was able to manage it to where he would just take naps whenever he got tired. And they would just be short naps and they'd wake up and he'd be like, okay, time to get, get some more work done. And then he'd go back to sleep, take another nap after a couple hours of working and then wake back up and do it again. And then at night he would still, he was still productive doing things throughout the night. So he'd be up at 4am doing stuff or up at 1am screwing stuff. Yeah.
0: But it's also like, they didn't have alarm clocks back then. How did he know when to get up? His
2: body, he he set. that's how he created his, his sleep cycle was cyclic sleep. So his body knew he was going to sleep five times a day. I
0: know, but like, how did he, how did he, like create that like cycle for himself. Like there, there had to have been something. I don't like, know. Like a, I, I, don't know. Like a what? candle with a nail in it, and once the the candle wax melted, the nail would fall. Maybe it. I don't know. That I don't is know. like some high level thinking, right? It is okay, okay. Well, I saw. I, I've seen that on. It's Inst- like I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen that on. It's Instagram.
3: an alarm clock. It's,
1: it's an a an dream. It's a dream. dream. I don't. Yeah.
2: I made that. I invented that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did you guys see that thing Bill Gates said? He was like, didn't he call sleep unproductive? He was like, ah, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was
0: really funny. <laughs> it, Bro, I was just like,
2: Hold me and an athlete. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the
2: misconceptions in the world of, with like health and stuff are like a lot of the things you hear, like you have to sleep eight hours, like eight hours is ideal or like whatever. Those types of things aren't, they don't pertain to high caliber, like elite athletes. Like there's other things. It's like whenever people are like, oh, yeah, don't eat a ton of carbs. Don't eat a ton of, ton of sugar. It's like, well, you need sugar and carbs if you're going to perform at your highest yeah. level as a, as an elite athlete, like if you're just going to sit around and live a sedentary lifestyle and not work out and not run hard or do different activities, then yeah, you don't need to be eating a ton of carbs and sugar all the time. But if you're going to be, if you're going to be running 90 miles a week, hundred miles a week, 120 miles a week, whatever caliber of athlete you are as a collegiate distance runner, as a professional distance runner, you need to have sugar and carbs and you need something that's going to be a fuel source. And so some people will turn to fat, like fat as a fuel source. But if you look at the top marathoners, they're not using fat. They're using, they're taking sugar packets, literally like gel packs after every yeah. six mile, every five miles, whatever they're running. They're they're shooting a gel and they're love hydrating. Ways. Yeah, and so they know that they their body needs carbs, their body needs sugars, their body needs all these things. They're going to allow them to keep going to the next mile, and the next mile, and the next mile, to where like usually the reason you end up like bonking is because you've run out of glucose. It's like the other day on flowers, I made it to like mile 16 and I ran out of glucose and I was like, all right, three and a half more. (laughs) I was just fighting through just complete hell and we made it through and it was, it was fine. But that last three and a half miles, I had just very little sugar in my system and I I just felt like I'd burn it all. And I was sweating so much because it was 80 degrees out there and we're just ripping as hard as we can. And I just couldn't... My, my legs could not move anymore.
1: I think I happened to me out there. Like, I... Yeah. I hit that last hill. No, the last two miles, man. Like, I've never been more concerned for, like, my... Just safety getting back. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I was running. It was a group... The, the group of girls were behind us. And, like, they saw me stop and wobble, like, a couple times. And, like, I just got back to the I hit the gas station. And, like, a couple guys came up to me after. They are like, dude, we thought you were going to pass out. You <laughs> in. And... and I was like, yeah, I need, I need a power it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Walk into the gas station, just chug the biggest body armor. Mm-hmm. And felt fine after that. But yeah,
2: so. I've started prioritizing like sodium intake before yeah. runs. Like I, I bought, which I don't know if this is, this is just something I've been doing. So I don't know if this is safe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely, it's fine. But I bought raw organic cane sugar, which if you look at liquid IV packets, it uses like raw sugar non-gmo sugar to get into the bloodstream quick and whoa, yeah you got to got a pack right there yeah look at yeah, liquid iv it's it's uh over here on this side Inside? yeah
0: so Let's see sugar. okay i uh, see where it says
2: sugar non-gmo yes. something
0: okay yeah uh non-gmo sugar plus mind salt plus mind salt okay
2: so yeah okay. so i'll take i literally take uh, some sort of flavor packet, whatever that flavor is. Mm-hmm. And then I have non-GMO, raw, organic, like cane sugar, plus pink Himalayan sea salt.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I'll add mm-hmm. that into my drinks to get extra sodium, extra glucose, and then also whatever flavor packet I'll get. So I'll just get some powdered drink mix. I know Drip Drop has like some powdered drink mix or I'll do it with liquid IV sometimes mm-hmm. where I'll add in extra sodium and extra sugar because I sweat so much. <laughs> and I can't, I like, I, I'm going to be, I just sweat out, everything in my entire system to where if i don't have sodium in my body like i'm not gonna be able to perform so it's like okay well i gotta take in a bunch of salt i gotta somehow get salt back in my system in order to be able to perform at my top level and like, these are just things that i'm figuring out and it's like oh okay like now I feel better whenever I'm running and I, I feel like I have the endurance to run longer and like uh, oh, if anything's possible with enough carbs and
1: <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I definitely need that. I yeah. sweat like a month. Yeah. So
0: like anytime I finish like a workout and we're going back to the calf for breakfast Um, <laughs> I've noticed like I did this at the end of last year and I'm like, I'm still doing this this year. So I'll mm-hmm. get, like, you know, my potatoes, grits, whatever, and, like, I'll mix it all together. Yeah, And I'll just dump a ton of salt yeah. all on it. And I'm just like – and, like, whenever I taste it, I'm like, okay, I needed this. Like, my body was like yeah. – I cra- I needed – I was craving salt. That's all I was wanting. And it's like, something
2: you need. It's something yeah. you need. You need that sodium because you've just sweated everything out of your system because you, you ran in the Mississippi. Yeah. Humidity and heat at 8 a.m. in the morning or 6 a.m. in the morning, whenever we run, yeah. and, like, your body just needs that salt. And so for the average person – you add that much salt to anything it's not gonna be good (laughs) like you don't need high sodium levels because it's not good for like heart health and there's a whole bunch of different things it's not good for but if we're losing it but if we're we're losing it by sweating everything out and it's just like that's another thing it's just an average misconception in like the health community like yeah like it's not people are like oh yeah don't eat a ton of salt don't eat all these like don't eat all this sugar and you're like oh i need salt and sugar (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, okay. sorry. Uh, I need that for fuel. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that's crazy. I don't. I love hearing all those little stuff that uh, I know that we can change. But I guess another yeah. thing that we can change is you know how we think. And I know that you are also pretty big in sports psychology and like mm-hmm. wanting to learn about that. You you know about Huberman podcasts and yeah. like, all that crazy. Well, actually, that's more. That's more nutrition. That's more nutrition. But, that's more but, the uh, health side. Yeah, but uh, okay. So tell us like what you sports psychology. Sports that was
2: psychology. uh. So much of the stuff I learned this summer, I've talked about on my YouTube channel, and it's a lot of it's been learned from Brian Barraza, who is uh, he was he was a runner for 10 Man Elite. He just transferred to Roots Running, and Brian just I, I would sit down and have a conversation with Brian, and he would just freely just talk about this stuff, and it was really cool to hear him uh, speak on these topics because for the longest time, I'm like, how do these elite runners do this? How, how do you get to this level, this like pro professional level where you're like constantly going to the well and somehow performing at your top at like the top caliber and you keep doing it over and over and over again? Like, what, what are they doing? Are they like David Goggins, like every single one of them? Yeah. Are they just out there like trying to kill their bodies like every time they go out and, and race? Like, that, that wouldn't make any sense. Like, but a lot of people have this conception that everyone, everyone that's out there in the running community is like this David Goggins type. That's just like, oh yeah, I'm going to run harder. I'm going to run harder as I freaking can. And like all this stuff. And you're just like, no, like, that's not really what it is. And you talk to Brian and Brian's one of the most peaceful, like loving guys you've ever talked to. And he's like, yeah, you know, like there's little tricks you can do. (laughs) He's like, like, wait a second. How do you, how do you do that? You qualify for USAs and the steeplechase. Like what is going on? Like what, what, what's your psychology here? He was like, well, a lot of it's just if you get out there and you're running, um, like run the mile you're in, which is the big takeaway that I learned from talking to him, which is actually the concept in Ryan Hall's book, Run the Mile You're In, mm-hmm. of the yeah. of the same title. Yeah. And it's just focus on the exact moment that you're in at that point and focus on the pain that you're experiencing right there in that exact moment. And whenever you look at that pain, look at it straight in the face and be like, okay, how bad does this actually hurt right now? And once you figure out how bad it hurts right then and there, it's actually not going to be as bad as you think it is, because what what's happening psychologically for most people is they're looking ahead at what they have in front of them. They're like, oh yeah, like they're they're two miles into a five mile race, and they're like, oh crap. like, I have three miles of this, and they start freaking out. They're like, oh, that's so much. That's so much to do. That's so much pain. Oh my gosh, how am I ever going to make it through this? And the big concept that Brian was talking about is like, no, just run where you are, right there in that moment. And make it to the next checkpoint, whatever that checkpoint may be. So let's say you're in the middle of a five-mile race. You're two miles in, and you're like, okay, like I'm, I'm freaking out a little bit. I don't know what to do right now. And you're like, okay, well, how bad does it hurt right here right now? Does it actually hurt that bad? Am I actually dying right now? Or is this just my mind being like, just freaking out? And so you, you address this question. You figure out exactly how much you're actually hurting in that there, in that moment. And you're like, okay, well, this actually isn't that bad. And you're like, okay, well, let's make it up here to this next tree. Okay, well, okay, we made it to the tree. That felt pretty good. Okay, let's make it around this turn. Okay, well, let's make it up this next hill. Okay, let's make it wherever wherever we're gonna go next. We set these little checkpoints in front of us, and if you're on a track, you can be like, okay, well, let's make it a 3k. Let's make it a 34. Okay, I'm hurting again. Like this is hard. This sucks. And you're like, okay, well, how bad am I actually hurting? And at some point in the race, the answer is gonna be, I'm hurting really freaking bad. (laughs) And you have to you have to address that and be like, okay, yeah, it makes sense that I'm hurting really bad. I'm 3400 into this race, into this 5k race. And I'm running a pace that I've never run in my entire life, and I'm going to be hurting for the next 1600 meters, and there's no way around it. And you just address that, and you're like, okay, time to fight, and that's like something you have to figure out. Of when do you try to? When do you decide? Okay, it's hurting really bad. I have to manage this, but it's also time to fight, and also get to that point comfortably <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> where you aren't freaking out at 1K or you aren't freaking out at 1500 or 2K. You're able to sit right there in that exact moment in at 3,200 or 3,400 or 3,600. And you're like, okay, it's hurting right now. I got to go. And that that's something that was one of the biggest concepts that I took away from the summer talking to Brian Braza. Like, okay, just run the mile you're in, run where you are right then and there. And it doesn't have to be the mile you're in. It can just be like the moment you're in is probably the better way to phrase it. But that was the concept in Ryan Hall's book. I actually bought the book, so I haven't read it yet. I, I want to see what yeah. Ryan has to say. I mean, he's the American marathon and half marathon record holder. So he's got, he's probably has some really good things to say.
0: A little bit. I'm yeah. Sure. He's got to have. Some, yeah.
2: You know, he's, he's, he probably has yeah. some decent things to say. Uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was just the biggest things I, I think I took away from this summer. Uh, there, there's also other, other aspects to it that I've learned myself, which is just taking uh, like my favorite thing to do is to run an easy run. Like I used to really just, easy. I used to just dread it. I used yeah. to just dread going out and running sometimes. Like last season, I remember just like, oh man, I got to go out the door and run like six miles. Like this is going to suck. And I would just like, I would just like step out the door and I was like, I, I think I just didn't like the pace we were running. It was just uncomfortable enough. And I was like, this just sucks. Like, I just hate this. I just want to run a little bit slower. Yeah. yeah, I'll run hard. I'll run hard the next day. I'll run hard on the workout when it matters, but like I'm going to run easy right now. And I take those times, those easy runs, just to kind of meditate and just chill out and just not even think about anything. And I'm not hurting. I'm just like, okay, legs are tired, whatever. We'll just keep moving forward. We're sweating a lot. We'll just keep moving forward. And that's something that I've just been focusing on for myself. It's just like, yeah, just take an easy day. Like I I, I used to just not give myself any easy days. And then psychologically, like over a longer period of time, it burns you out almost because every day is hard. And the way our training is set up specifically, we're doing three or four workouts a week sometimes. And if you're doing three or four workouts a week in the middle of track season and you have three other days where you you get to quote unquote recover and you're not running easy and you're not recovering, you're just running hard on those days, your body's just pushing itself more and more. And at the same time, if you're in sleep debt, if you haven't slept okay. very well and you aren't eating well, then what ends up happening is you, your body just shuts down and you, you psychologically you shut down, your body shuts down, you just don't feel good and you don't feel ready to race. You're like, oh, okay, well,
1: That makes sense.
2: (laughs) It's, it's honestly just being true to how you actually feel and why you feel that way. Uh, like, like, why do you, why did this run suck today? Oh, well, I haven't eaten anything in 24 hours. Okay. Well, that makes sense. (laughs) You just have to address those little things. Like if you do a pre-race and your pre-race, you run it and you're like, oh man, I felt, I feel terrible. And then you run your race the next day and you're like, oh man, like I felt terrible. Well, maybe you should change your pre-race. Like if you run your pre-race and and it's terrible and you hated it and you were like, why did I do this? Then maybe you should change your pre-race and do something different than like do a different workout that doesn't have you feeling like crap whenever you step on the line the next day. Yeah. And like, that's just, you just listen to your body. And like that, that was a big takeaway of just things I learned living out in Colorado, talking to coach Hunter and talking to whoever else was out there. Like I talked to a lot of the roots guys and, It was was nice. It was, it was a really good experience. I would say.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, I think so. Sports psychology in the last few years, especially has been more on the forefront. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I mean, even, even like last week, when we went to that sports psychology meeting and they're talking about like Simone Biles, like stepping out of the Olympics, like that, that's a huge thing there. And I think a lot of the times, like a lot of times people just ignore it and it's, uh, it, it, a lot of it is like people get depressed, people get sad and people get in these positions where they just feel helpless. And it's like, you don't have to get in that position. Like, I'm not saying like, it's people will end up this. I'm not saying just tough it out. Like David Goggins. I'm just saying, if you're in that position, talk to somebody, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah,
2: like talk to somebody about what's going on. Be like, no, nah, dude, I, I really do feel like crap right now. Like yeah. this, this is, I, I don't want to go out and run another mile. And you're like, okay, well, you can talk to them about it, and some you you can talk to whoever about it, talk to your coach about it. You're like, yeah, no, like I, I'm hating this right now. What do I need to do? And that that's just okay. Maybe you need to take a break, maybe take a step back, and then reassess where you, where you are, or just go run easy, yeah. go out for an easy run, like no pace, right go run, go run nine minutes a mile for three miles, and yeah. just like don't stress about it.
0: But make it fun again like because yeah. I mean, obviously you did the sport because you loved it so like yeah. make, and like if you if you're not loving it anymore then go back to like you know the the simple yeah. parts of it where you did love it and then just yeah. do that for a little bit
2: I've yeah. definitely had times where I've
3: hated it
1: yeah, <laughs> oh yeah no yeah I, I have had that too yeah. We all I'm sure yeah. everyone has yeah. like yeah I think I think one of the best things for me this summer was when I got hurt actually mm-hmm. right at the beginning of the year I did a workout and hated it I, I did so bad. It was I was running A on grass and just like so slow. Yep. By myself, just like I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna suck. And then I really really messed up my ankle. That was it. Like I was eight weeks mm-hmm. just you're gone. And so like during that time, you know, it's a bit of a reset. And then by the time you start coming back, you're you're celebrating running three miles at seven thirty pace. Yeah. And then, yeah. You get to like seven miles. Ago. Uh, and i get here and i get dropped on an eight mile run, we go 650 but at least i ran eight miles yeah so i'm running at sub seven now. yeah right? and so it, like, and
2: that's your own perspective and that's I mean, like that's a lot of a lot of times we mess up because we're looking at what other people are doing yeah. we're like well jan just ran 19 and a half miles on flowers at 555 pace is that like do i let that impact me do it like i ran 618 pace and felt like i was dying and jan ran 555 pace and he probably didn't feel like he, he felt like crap, but
3: yeah. he, he yeah. struggled.
2: But it's like, do we let these little things, these little comparisons bring us further down and dig ourselves into a deeper hole where we feel like we're not as good of an athlete as we want to be? And I think the real real thing that we can do is just be like, okay, how, how can I be the best athlete that I can be? And once you figure that out, you can reciprocate that and talk to your teammates about that and be like, okay, I'm going to be the best athlete that I can be. And I need you guys' help like i we we're in a workout right now i need your i need you guys yelling at me i need you guys like touching fist bumping me whatever it is and i need like that's the type of things you have to just work towards
1: yeah i think adam gomez said something really cool the other day i know matthew really liked it oh yeah yeah when he said if you go into a workout with the mentality that i'm gonna help someone else that you're gonna you're gonna help someone else and you're gonna get the help that you need yeah, it's just like because it just completely changes your mentality. So I I don't really care what happens to me as long as I'm helping these guys get through. Yep, and you're dragging yourself through it because you're trying to help someone else.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you don't you don't focus on your, your self hurting as much. Yeah, so yeah. It, it just helps. You. Yeah, it helps everyone. <laughs> <Nah>. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: One of uh one of the concepts. This is like a little bit of a different spiel, but yeah. I, I was talking to my grandfather about this last night, so he called me. And I called him like a couple days ago and then he didn't pick up. And then he called me back yesterday <laughs> yeah. and we were talking and he said, "We somehow we ended up on the topic of like, can anyone be an elite like runner? And I was like, probably <laughs> I started thinking about it. I'm like, I feel like a lot of people just don't like have the commitment and they don't have the drive to do it. But physically I feel like people can work hard enough to where they can, become a relatively elite distance runner and i was like that's like because it's weird because you don't need you don't need to be super coordinated to do it it's, it yeah. doesn't require yeah. like it's not it's not a specified like skill set but it is something that i feel like you can work towards and you see these guys that go from running like four hour marathons to running like 230 and you're like okay well, like there's something to this yeah like they, they can only run nine minutes a mile and now they're they can only run like a nine minute mile and then they ran a marathon at eight minutes a mile and then they ran um <laughs> another marathon at 5.30 a mile and you're like, okay, well maybe there is something like there, there's something there and there's just a level of commitment and psychology that I, I feel like anyone, which it, everyone's on their own personal journey, but I feel like at, to some degree, anyone can be a relatively elite distance runner if they put their mind to it i feel like they can they can do anything and put their mind to it and yeah. that that's a lot of the times just people that aren't willing to commit to it and are just kind of too scared to to do it and they they go out and they run and they feel like crap and they're like oh well, i guess they suck at this yeah and you're like and you're like no 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 they, no. they, they <laughs> failed,
0: once failed once they failed once they don't want to do it yeah again,
2: so. and that that's yeah. a big thing about this about the society we live in like just like the world that we live in right now it's just it's so much of it Revolves around this idea of complacency and just like, oh yeah, just do the bare minimum. Like you'll be fine. Like whatever. If it hurts, just don't do it. You'll be you'll be all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, We're, that's not the right way to do it. Yes. No. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because there, there's so many people that could be so good. Yeah. They just apply themselves to it, and like,
2: and there are definitely people like with better genetics. Like, yeah. there, there's no doubt about that. There yeah. are more talented athletes out there. Yeah. And some some athletes are more talented than others. Some work harder than others, and eventually, the hard work will. Will outpace the talent unless the talent is working incredibly hard. Yeah, like if you look at guys like Nico Young, obviously genetically there and works hard and has the psychology down and has the nutrition and diet everything. He's figured he's he's got it all figured out, and so he is at the top. Yeah, and so you have these guys that aren't necessarily that are probably working just as hard as Nico Young have everything else figured out that aren't at the top, and they feel like they've they they feel like they're at the best that they can be at and i think uh oftentimes we they sometimes people look at themselves like they're failures like if oh well, i'm not winning i'm not the best athlete in the ncaa so like i'm obviously not that good but the reality of it is like okay maybe you're just at a little bit of a genetic disposition even though like just keep working hard yeah and just keep yeah. fighting as, as much as you can and just keep working and like you just be the best athlete that you can be
1: we pretty much tried this theory uh-huh. there was this kid this kid, he was actually he's one of my best friends. Um, he weighed probably over two hundred pounds, like seven which just like big, big kid. Played football, not a runner. No, well, nope. not a runner. Nope. <laughs> he, he, but anyway, high school, you we were like, dude, come off the cross team this because like you, you're so injury prone to everything else, like you might as well come do this. And he's like, all right. And so like he kind of bought into the culture eventually, and then he kind of became a leader. And so he was he was running a lot, and he like he threw himself into it. Yeah, and he lost a bunch of weight and then like all of a sudden we're like this kid's really good and then <laughs> anyway by his junior year he ran 157 high in the 800 and was like our third leg in a state champion for this
0: guy was two this guy was like 200 pounds in seventh grade
1: yeah like, <laughs> imagine just, like, it, dude it just shouldn't happen
2: <laughs> no it shouldn't
1: and it, it, so it's really yeah that, that's why like okay, yeah bro, i'm so into this theory because i think anyone can do it if they really put themselves. yeah
2: good. i i feel like most most people can because i mean i'm 157 that'll get you into a college someplace yeah he almost yeah. went he, yeah, he, literally, literally he almost
1: go to a college to run he just decided not to yeah he, he bought it and
2: like, you, you buy thinking. in and you commit to it and that's where you end up finding like yeah that's where you reach like your full potential a lot of people just don't buy in and they don't commit to it and then they end up just like oh whatever there's has-beens like yeah. just never just not committed to anything and it's like yeah. oh man just sucks it hurts to see sometimes. it, it just like, hurts to see because you're like you f- i feel like you could be so much and you talk to somebody and they you can just tell that they're just down on themselves and you're just like man like pick your head up let's like just work towards something just take small steps and like uh, just taking small steps is one of the hardest things because we want instant gratification every yeah. time And we want it, we don't want it to be hard and we want it to be super easy and we want it to be right here, right now. And we can't look three months ahead or three years ahead or five years ahead for the, I mean, this guy's seventh grade and he's like thinking, he's not thinking he's going to do this, but he's like working towards something and he doesn't even know what he's working towards. Yeah, He's working towards becoming a better runner and he doesn't know where it's going to take him. Yeah, And like a lot of times people just get discouraged because they're like, oh man, I can't work at that for a year. I can't work at that for three years. I can't work at that for five years. In a lot of ways, like that's 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 just a common thing. And I, I remember in I guess it was like I was playing like uh, baseball in seventh or eighth grade, and uh, we were doing laps around the field. It was seventh grade, and I hadn't run since November state meet, and this was probably like April. And I went out for the, we were just like park and rec baseball, and the coach was like, "All right, go run some laps." So I go out and I start running some laps. I like, oh, got this. <laughs> I start getting passed by people, wow. and dude, I was just so out of shape. It's like oh man, like this is not good. And I just remember that feeling, like in that exact moment, of being like, okay, like this, like this is not good. I must suck at this. Like, th- what is going on right now? And I was like, well, I just gotta work harder. And like I had a decision of like, oh well, maybe I should get down on myself and just like, th- like that that feeling of like, oh yeah, people are like better than me right now. Like I it, it sucked in that moment, but like. The response that you have to that is like, okay, well, I just, I just gotta like start working harder and start getting better and start developing some level of consistency. Mm-hmm. So, day by, was, day? Day, day by day, day by
0: day, <laughs> That's a that's a P mentality. Is that right? Or is it, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember those things. I can't
2: but- I don't. I don't know what kind of mentality know. it is. I'm definitely a P, but uh,
0: it's,
1: it's oh, it's P's and J's, right? Yeah, yeah, but I think that's J's that's the future. that's
2: an N versus an S, the intuitive versus the sensor.
1: Oh. P and J is someone who's like a free thinker versus a like specific, specific like you know, necessary needs yeah, schedule. Okay, this yeah, specific okay, way.
2: But the see. N versus the S, which what we're talking about is Myers Briggs personality types. Uh, just in Go case, check it out. case you guys are wondering, I think it. I think the intuitive thinkers are forward thinking, okay. and the sensors are current. They can't. They can't. They're scared of the future.
0: Okay, so yeah, it'd be more of an S. whenever it comes to pain, I guess like yeah, like, can it like just one step one a step time. at a time.
2: Yeah it's which that's kind of like what what I have to work on because oftentimes like as I'm I'm an intuitive thinker which in it's just instead of because it the personality types are e and i mm-hmm. for extrovert introverts so they have to come up with the second letter for the second part so it's intuitive versus uh sensor and I'm an intuitive thinker and that puts me uh, sometimes thinking too far ahead yeah. <laughs> and so I have to reel it back in and be like okay I gotta be right here right now figuring it out and yeah, and that's a that's a big thing of, like like we were talking about earlier, run the mile you're in. Mm-hmm. But no, it's it's just you take the pain, and you you just have to experience it right then and right there. And but you also have to think forward. Uh, like, okay, I'm gonna get better at this. If I suck at this right now, I'm gonna get better. Yeah, I
0: love that mentality. Yeah, I think that that's a a great way to end
1: this episode of the podcast. Yeah. thank you, the Brock Kelly for sí, with us. Yes, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Run Happy Podcast. We've had Brock Kelly, and we've just enjoyed it so much. So we will catch everyone next week. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we'll catch you all next week.